We're continuing in a, a series called Being Born Again, The Restoration of Humankind. And this morning I want to briefly review and then get into the material, unlike last week. And you should have a handout. And I, I simply, what I've included on here are, are just sort of these, what I would sort of say is highlighted bullet points, the sort of crucial pieces that I really hope that we can get and that will be a part of new understandings about God and about the life that he has provided to us. So we started on this aspect of the nature of God and want to highlight that at at the core of God's being, God is love and God is relational. And that's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. And comparatively, at the core of every human person, we have been created to be loved and to love. And we too have been created in his likeness as relational. But, as we are aware, there came into our world a problem that we have labeled and called sin. And at its core, we have turned from love of God and others to love of self. Instead of seeking what is loving and best for God and others, we are self-seeking what is best for us. As a result, we live in broken relationships with God, others, and ourselves. But God did something about it. Why did Jesus become human? First and above all, because of God's love for humankind and God's love for every human person. And Jesus came as well to heal and restore humans to loving relationship with God, others, and ourselves. To heal and restore us to that which we were created unto, life in him. So we touched on what the atonement is, and I would parallel that word to what salvation is when we speak about it and suggested that it is important to not only highlight the cross as a part of salvation, as a part of the atonement, but that Jesus's incarnation, his becoming human, his very coming to earth, his life, his death, his resurrection and his glorification are what took place as salvation. And in that, Jesus paid for our sins and reconciled us to God. In Jesus' sinless life, in Jesus' death, 
in Jesus' resurrection and in Jesus' glorification, all humankind lived, died, and was raised and glorified. We were in him, and we to this day are in him. In Jesus, new and abundant life is now available in this very life that we are living now. This eternal kind of life means living in a loving, interactive relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right now, day by day. But there is a part that we play. What is necessary to receive this gift of new life? Salvation, new life, available to all, provided in Christ and by God's grace, is appropriated through faith by the Holy Spirit. We are a part of the process, and it is faith, trust in Jesus, not just for our sins, but for our very lives. And that faith, that action with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit initiates and creates and provides that life to us individually and together. Faith in Scripture is both a choice and a way of life, trusting in Jesus for our whole life. And I had mentioned, and I we touched on this last week as we chatted about it a little bit, while there may be an initiatory moment when our faith encounters this good news, it's never to end there. And that initiation looks like a lot of different kinds of things, almost as different as each human person. And then summarizing as well, What does this eternal kind of life look like? And I've suggested that it is to be an ongoing, day-by-day, loving, interactive relationship with God. It is an intermingling of activities and the sharing of our life with God and God's life with us. It's a relationship. And as any relationship, it's something that must be actively sought and cultivated and should grow and mature over time. And it is an embracing of God's love for us, being healed from our brokenness, becoming like Jesus in all things through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. This morning I want to talk about what was the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, for your life. For your death, for your resurrection, for your going ahead of us into glorification. 
Thank you for your invitation to this new life. This kind of life that we have been created and intended for. A life of loving interaction with you. Holy Spirit, come and be with us as we look at your word. As we consider the words of Jesus and the meaning of what it is to live in this life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we kind of went through Easter with highlighting the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want to turn back a little bit to the story near the beginning of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to what we call the Gospels, so that we can perhaps see with new eyes and new ears. Jesus used this amazing phrase, he who has eyes to see and ears to hear. And that's exactly what we need. We need spiritual eyes, spiritual ears that are attuned to something more than just this spatial, physical realm that we are familiar with. Jesus' invitation to this new life is woven throughout his whole message, as well as the entire New Testament. And I want to start by looking at the message that Jesus preached, the gospel that Jesus preached. So if someone were to ask you, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? What was the gospel that Jesus preached? So being the researcher that I am and knowing that everything I find on the Internet is true, I googled those words and these are a few of the top articles. I think I referenced this off the top of my head last week because it was interesting to me. Um, That first article that's listed there, when you click on it, will take you and will provide to you the verse John 3.16, for God so loved the world, which is cool. I think that's a good start of what the gospel is that we speak of as Christians. The second article, Bible.org, says this. When Christians refer to the gospel, they are referring to the good news that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might become the children of God through faith alone in Christ alone. That's cool. Three things that are highlighted in that. One, the gospel is good news. Secondly, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. And thirdly, it references and highlights that we might become the children of God, all of which are at the core and the heart of the atonement and salvation. The third article from BibleGateway.com quoted the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, which perhaps for someone unfamiliar with the gospel might be a little hard to make their way through that entire chapter to try and understand what the gospel is. But it's a good chapter, and there's great information in it. 
And as I pointed out when describing the theories of atonement a few weeks ago, the atonement and the gospel as it is most frequently presented is about Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, which it is. But the only definition of the gospel in these three articles, I'm sorry, but the, yes, the only definition of the gospel in these three articles that mentioned eternal life was the first one that referenced John 3.16. Neither of the other two referenced life. It ref, one of them referenced becoming children of God. Amen. Bless God. Thank you, Jesus. But Jesus came for more. Jesus came that we might have life. So what was the gospel of Jesus? The first time that word gospel is used is in Matthew 4.23, where Matthew summarizes the ministry of Jesus, stating Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The first verse in the book of Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And soon after, Mark says this, Now after John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In the Greek New Testament, the word gospel sometimes is translated good news and that is what it means. The Greek noun euangelion, which means good news, and then there is a verb form Eulangelizo, which means to bring or announce good news. So that's where we get our understanding the title of the gospel from all of these cases that reference the gospel. When Matthew summarizes the ministry of Jesus as proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he was saying that Jesus was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom. And while Luke speaks of the gospel, the good news, on numerous occasions, he does not say what the good news is until chapter 16, where he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcefully trying to enter it. The Apostle John does not use the term gospel in his book at all. The closest statement to these statements about the gospel would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospel, the good news that Jesus preached was about the kingdom of God. Now, I was raised in um, a variety of different um, church backgrounds. I call myself a Christian mutt. Um, 
when I was born, my parents were um, attending a Lutheran church, and so I was baptized as an infant Lutheran. And then they started attending a Methodist church for some amount of time. And then they began attending a Presbyterian church. I guess they were really trying to find Jesus or something. I'm not, I don't know. I've actually never spoken to them about that, and I can't anymore. I'll have to do that when I get in heaven. But anyway, um, the last time we were at that Presbyterian church, I was old enough to know. Okay, so here's what I was trying to say at the very end was, though I came to Christ and came to understand and believe in the gospel, I never heard a thing about the kingdom of God till I was in college, at a Christian college, in a doctrine class. And when they taught about the kingdom of God, I went, oh my goodness. And when I learned about it, I really said, oh my goodness, why didn't anybody ever tell me about this? So I'm going to tell you about it. And you can't say, no one ever told me about it. So what was this good news about the kingdom of God that Jesus preached? I want to look at another passage from Matthew where he describes the message of Jesus. Matthew 4.17, a summary. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I would suggest to you... Okay, in Jesus' name, I command all of this distraction and all of this hindrance to stop. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to be able to hear you more than me, but maybe I need to be heard too. I would suggest that that statement, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, could with modernized language still be a very appropriate declaration about the gospel. We'll get there. Where Mark and Luke speak of the kingdom of God, Matthew in Jewish tradition does not reference the name of God, but instead he uses the term kingdom of heaven. Jews would not speak the name of Yahweh, and here even in the writing of his gospel, he chose not to use the name for God but spoke a kingdom of heaven. So it's not different. There isn't something that's the kingdom of heaven and something that's the kingdom of God. Basic 101 kingdom theology. They're the same thing. There are not two things. Jesus' message was an invitation for people to repent for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God was near. Everybody reach out your hand and touch the chair in front of you. That chair is at hand. Donna, come on, help me out here. Do something. (laughs) Touch a chair. Touch a chair next to you. You can do it next to you. Okay. That chair is at hand. Right? It's, It's within grasp. That's what Jesus meant. It was not at hand in that someday it was going to come. Or that when the kingdom of God comes, there are, there are biblical 
theologians who believed that Jesus preached the kingdom was coming at that moment and it didn't come and he failed. They, yeah. That's not what we think. Jesus showed us the kingdom by healing the sick, proclaiming it, and teaching about how to live in it. So let's talk about the word repent. We frequently think about this word relative to sin or sinning. And when, when I think we have cultivated an understanding that would say that the word repent means stop sinning. Have you kind of had that? You don't have to raise your hand, but, you know, repent. Stop sinning. Stop doing what you're doing. But there's really nothing in the word repent about sin. In the Greek New Testament, the word repent is the word metanoia, and it means to change your mind or thinking, which then implies, as a result, a change of action or a change of the way one is living. There's an outcome. The word means think about your thinking and change the way you think. So why did Jesus people tell people to repent, to change their mind or their thinking, and as a result, their actions? Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God was at hand. Because it was near within reach, near enough to touch, they needed to change their thinking about everything. About the way they've been living, about the things that they've thought and understood. In... In my understanding, Jesus is essentially saying something like this. Hey, everybody, I've got great news. Something awesome is now within your reach. And that is the presence and the availability of life in the kingdom of God. So change the way you're thinking and living and enter in. Come on in. So what is the kingdom of God? kingdom of heaven. Why is that being available good news? So let's start with how that's used in our world today. And uh, Terry, do not go there. (laughs) We don't use the word kingdom. You will, but not yet. I'll tell you when. We don't use the word kingdom very much. But we do use it. We use it for those countries that have a king or a queen. So how many countries in the world have a king or queen? Five or six, eight. All right, somebody's saying a lot. I didn't think there were. Now you can show them the list. There are 27 countries in our world that have a king or queen. Those countries know what a kingdom is. It's where the king or queen rules. Although all of them probably have these other things called parliament and things like our Congress. So, eh, anyway. So the United Kingdom, which includes Great Britain, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, are the areas where the government of the United Kingdom has authority to rule or to have dominion. So a kingdom refers to a country, a territory, a realm ruled by uh, 
a king or queen. Now, as all of us are aware, prior to July 4th, 1776, the 13 British colonies, which had been a part of the United Kingdom as it was in that time, were under the rule and the dominion of King George III and the British government and army. But on July 4th, 1776, those colonies together declared their independence from the United Kingdom and established themselves as the United States of America, an autonomous, self-ruling, and self-governing nation. And aren't we happy? Amen. Thank you, God, for our country. The kingdom of God, as described by Jesus, can be thought of as the realm where God rules. Or more simple language, where what God wants done is done. It's not a physical location. It's a place where his authority, his leadership has influence. Let me describe how this relates to humankind. By using the illustration of the United Kingdom, United States, when God created the heavens, the earth, humankind, the animals, fish and birds, all of this was a part of God's kingdom. All of it. Where what God wanted done was done. And he looked at it and said, hey, this is really cool. This is good. This was part of the goodness of creation. God's kingdom reigning, ruling, was a part of the goodness of creation. It was a part of what brought order and peace. There was fullness of life. There was purpose. There was cooperation. There was loving, interactive relationship with God and one another that Adam and Eve enjoyed. The world was a beautiful place of calm and peace. So as a part of God's kingdom, a part of his realm, God assigned dominion, oversight, or rule to humankind to reign under his leadership. Genesis 1, 27-28. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Within God's kingdom realm and his oversight and leadership, He created humankind to reign, to have dominion, to rule with him as his vice regents is a fancy word. I didn't look it up. It just popped into my head. I don't know what that means, but I think that's what it means. When Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become like God... They rebelled against God's rulership 
and they became autonomous, self-ruling, and self-governing individuals. And the United States did it in 1776 as a nation. And humankind has been establishing themselves as autonomous, self-ruling, and self-governing individuals ever since. Every human being establishes their own kingdom. Your kingdom is where you have rule and reign. How many here own a car that you're primarily the person who drives it? Okay, Your car is a part of your kingdom. When I drive my wife's car, she says, Randy, this is my kingdom. I don't want to have this and this and this in my car. Don't leave your stuff in my kingdom. The outcome of this autonomous, self-ruling, and self-governing establishment of Adam and Eve as individuals was brokenness, separation, isolation, and death in their relationship with God, with one another, within themselves, and with the earth and all living things. There was now disorder instead of order. There was now unrest instead of rest. There was destruction, fighting, conflict, abuse, taking, hurting, killing, The world became violent and out of control. Hello, tornadoes, hurricanes. God, what are you doing? God didn't do it. We did. When Jesus came saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, he was not saying, or else God's going to get you. In fact, it's the opposite. Hey, everybody, I've got great news. Something awesome is available to you. It's now within your reach. That which humankind lost in the fall, order and peace, loving interactive relationship with God and one another, that can be restored. The brokenness, separation, isolation and death in your relationship with God, with one another, within yourselves, that can be healed and mended. You can live in an eternal kind of life that you were created to live in the kingdom of God right now, in your life now, where love and what is good and best can be experienced. But you're going to need to change the way you're thinking about who's in charge. You need to no longer live as the self-appointed ruler of your life but instead welcome God's loving care and oversight of your life. Now, that sounds like good news to me. But I have been struggling all my life to live in that kingdom, that realm, experiencing those things. But more and more, Day after day, I am experiencing a different kind of life. Living in the kingdom of God 
having and experiencing eternal life now is about a loving, interactive relationship with God and one another in our real life. Is it talking about someday when we die or after Jesus comes back? Yes, it's talking about that. It is going to go on for eternity. It is an eternal kind of life. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full now. It's about being a part of the great family of God, becoming like Jesus in all things through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Living in the kingdom of God is about experiencing God's love. And as we do, that we love him, we love one another, we love his lost and hurting world. In creation, we were designed for this kind of life. In the fall, we lost all this. In the atonement, we were restored to it as a possibility. And through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're empowered for this kind of life. But this requires faith, a choice, an action. Faith and a choice to believe that it's true and action to live as if it's true. Faith and a choice to believe that it actually is a better life than what I can live on my own and action to live in that life. And faith and a choice to surrender our will to not having the world the way we want it. And action to live according to God's will. I want to end our time by considering... um, a familiar phrase from the Lord's Prayer. After the opening connection with the Father, our Father who art in heaven, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we say that together? Can we pray that prayer together? Father, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What what might that look like? Love. Love. Now, I'd like to personalize this phrase. And invite us to consider the words, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as you desire it to be. Would you say that with me now? Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as you desire it to be. You see, before we have a tremendous amount 
of ability to see God's kingdom be advanced in our world, we have to become the kind of people where that's happening. We need to become the kind of people where God's will, his kingdom, his leading, his love is affecting us, is leading us, is guiding us to where when we love, people will go, oh my goodness, what is that? By this shall all men know that you are my followers, my disciples, my apprentices, that you love one another. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes for a moment and we will conclude with this. I'd like you to sort of imagine the rest of your day you have some plans for the day and then you have plans for tomorrow you have work probably what would it be like to have God's kingdom come and his will be done in your life today when you leave church this afternoon tonight as you retire and prepare for the week what would it look like to have God's kingdom come his will be done in your life tomorrow Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life as you desire it to be. I'd like to invite you in your imagination, in your heart to talk with God. Take a moment. Tell him in your own words. Repent. Change your thinking. The kingdom of God is within your grasp.
In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming and hanging out. It was slightly shorter. See you next week. Um, If you would like prayer, if you would like someone to come alongside and be a part of your life, being a part of the family of God for a word of encouragement, uh, some prayer for difficulty you're experiencing, some help in figuring out what that looks like to have the kingdom of God and his will in your life, we would be thrilled to meet with you and talk with you and share with you. Welcome to come on up. We've got folks that will join us as well. God bless. Have a great week.